Well, I don't think China can replace the U.S. because uh, the U.S. believes in the sovereignty of states, believes in the Westphalian international order that was established by the Treaty of Westphalia of 1648, where states recognize each other's sovereignty. Mm. Xi Jinping, for more than a decade, has been dropping hints that China is the world's only sovereign state because the world should go back to this notion of Tianxia, where China rules all under heaven. Mm. Um, we know that China's uh, actions are malicious, extremely selfish. Hello, everyone. This is Meng Fei Li from Hong Kong. Welcome to my podcast, The Missing Piece. I hope everyone is having a great week. Now, one article came out recently, stated that China is slowly embracing the second phase of the COVID-19. Most of the cities in China are being fearful and uncertain about what could happen to the nation again. And meanwhile, Chinese government seems to hold this ambivalent attitude. During the national conference, Chinese President Xi Jinping urged everyone to follow the rules and encouraging international partners to trust the capabilities of the Chinese government because China is ready to save the world again. Now, how is Chinese President Xi Jinping is going to balance his trust and power among the party members? And how should the countries like US, Britain, and Australia join together to get some real information before it's getting too late? Joining my show today is one distinguished guest, Gordon Chang. He's the author of The Great US-China Tech War and Losing South Korea. His previous books are Nuclear Showdown, New North Korea Takes on the World, and The Coming Collapse of China, both from Random House. His writing on China and North Korea have appeared in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the National Interest, and the American Conservative, etc. Hey, Gordon, welcome to my show. Oh, well, thank you so much, Monty. Well, Gordon, let's get started. I realize a lot more experts from the U.S., especially from the international communities, are still mentioning the case that during the COVID-19, 1.9 million people died. However, China still has not fully acknowledged the fact. And also, I realize you also tweeted and you asked the question, say, why has there been no punishment for the deaths of 1.9 million people and hashtag China light millions died? Gordon, I want to ask the question is, why can't we let it go? Isn't, isn't China doing a fantastic job handling this COVID-19 in their nation? Why are you still bitter about this number? Well, first of all, we don't know how China is really doing. Uh, we do know that they have made propaganda really to be its first priority. And that's because when the Communist Party appointed its task force on January 26, it was a nine-member roster. And only one person was a public health official. The rest were party hacks and propaganda workers, as they say. And also, we know that their statements on the coronavirus feed into their narrative that China's form of governance, its totalitarianism, is superior to that of the rest of the world. So when um, coronavirus information from Beijing supports that narrative, we've got to be suspicious. That said, um, yes, I think there are far fewer cases in China than there are, for instance, in the United States. Um, but that could be for a number of reasons. But the reason why I can't let this go is because whatever the origin of this disease, however China is handling this, we know that they 
took steps to deliberately spread this. So they announced that this disease was human-to-human transmissible only on January 20 of last year. Mm. Yet doctors in Wuhan knew no later than the second week of December, and probably before, that this disease was highly contagious. Now, if Beijing had said nothing during those five weeks, that would have been grossly irresponsible. But we know that they tried to deceive the world into believing this was not contagious. Um, At the same time, Xi Jinping um, pressured countries not to impose travel restrictions and quarantines on arrivals from China. At the same time, he was locking down Wuhan and surrounding cities. So he thought that those measures would be effective, which means that by leaning on other countries, he knew he was spreading the disease. So the reason why we can't let this go, the reason why we shouldn't let this go, is because China deliberately spread this disease beyond its borders, and that makes those 1.9 million deaths really murder. Mm. And this, of course, is mass murder. Well, Gordon, if I'm not mistaken, I believe then, of course, you're the expert on this one, is Chinese President Xi Jinping has come out many times to make the international community and make the world believe that China is actually is on the rise. And now, looking back on January the 6th, what happened in America was absolutely tragic and devastating for the entire world to see that. And also recently, one article came out from the Bloomberg to say, what is happening in the U.S. create a turmoil, So, which means create a greater opportunity for China to shoulder this bigger responsibility for the world. From your perspective, do you think China can really place that role or substitute America just because America is having this turmoil at this moment? Well, I don't think China can replace the U.S. because uh, the U.S. believes in the sovereignty of states, believes in the Westphalian international order that was established by the Treaty of Westphalia of 1648, where states recognize each other's sovereignty. Mm. Xi Jinping, for more than a decade, has been dropping hints that China is the world's only sovereign state because the world should go back to this notion of Tianxia, where China rules all under heaven. Mm. Um, We know that China's uh, actions are malicious, extremely selfish, um, and indeed is domineering. So I don't think that China can actually replicate what the United States has done. You know, of course, the turmoil on January 6th does feed into China's narrative. But remember, on January 20, there's going to be a peaceful transition of power. There was an election on November 3. China can't even hold an election, uh, much less a peaceful transfer of power. Xi Jinping has made that impossible as general secretary of the Communist Party. So really... um, If you look at the reality, I think long-term people will understand this, although China, of course, is making propaganda gains recently. Well, of course, Gordon, but one of the things I still want to say, last year, President Trump, or a couple years ago, President Trump sat down with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, and that was groundbreaking. And many countries believe, and a lot more Chinese leaders believe, that because that's what President Xi Jinping actually strategized North Korea to sit down with President Trump. So in other words, if really Trump is collecting the trophy to say, hey, listen, this is what I did with North Korea, don't you think that China is supposed to get the credit first? Because without China, how could North Korea 
peacefully have this meeting with President Trump. That's almost impossible. No president in the U.S. has ever, ever, ever done that before, right? Yeah, uh, Trump was the first time uh, meeting a sitting a sitting American president, meeting a sitting North Korean leader. Um, what's China's role in this? We really don't know. Uh, yeah, China could have facilitated this, but also I don't think that that's really the case. And the reason is that um, uh, when you when you look about the pattern of uh, Kim Jong Un's visits to China, they only begin after. Um, the North Koreans announce that they're actually going to have this meeting. I think that that caught the Chinese off guard, and they then had this series of summoning Kim Jong-un to Chinese soil, um, really to try to set the tone. Uh, that Those meetings didn't occur beforehand. So, you know, we, we really don't know what the relations between Pyongyang and Beijing are. But from the objective, what we can see, um, it looks like China was trying to... Um, rein in North Korea once it was clear that there was going to be a meeting between Trump and Kim. Mm. Now, Gordon, the next question I want to ask you is, because the COVID-19, that a lot more people are saying the credibility from Chinese President Xi Jinping has greatly reduced. And not only in China, but also outside China, a lot more countries, they no longer to see Xi Jinping is this capable person or this really confident person as he started back in 2012. So from your perspective, do you think that Xi Jinping really actually lost his credibility? Or do you think that Xi Jinping actually uh, is facing the difficulties in gaining, in gaining allies at this moment? Well, I think probably both of those are true. Uh, China did not ultimately make friends out of this. And I think that as we learn more and more about the origins of the disease, as we learn more and more about what China did to spread this disease beyond its borders, um, Beijing is going to lose even more standing. But, you know, of course, um, China is, 2020 is going to be the world's only major economy to show um, any increase in gross domestic profit. So they, they are making propaganda gains out of this, and mm. they do have their vaccine diplomacy. But, you know, this is, I think, short-term gains, because long-term, just take vaccines, for instance, we're starting to learn that the Chinese vaccines are only about 50% effective. Mm. There have been these various trials. Um, and we're learning, for instance, in Macau, that the vaccines could be even less than 50% effective. Um, these disease, these vaccines have not gone through full phase three trials, and yet China is vaccinating people. They've been doing that since June. This doesn't look really that good when people start to examine this. Even though China had a long head start in developing vaccines, it was the United States that developed two of them that are 95% effective, and we're going to see more U.S. vaccines in the coming months. So um, ultimately, the society that recovers is going to be the one that vaccinates well, and China's not going to be that society. Um, it's going to be the United States and others with these effective, safe, reliable vaccines. Mm. Well, Gordon, let's talk about your new book. Your new book is called The Great U.S.-China Tech War. Now, the first question I want to ask you is, why why did you want to write this book right now? I mean, right now we are not, we're only talking about this China relationship and more people are hoping this under Biden administration, these two countries are going to get better, at least so we're not going to have this Twitter bash uh, between each other. 
But right now, you came out with a book and to say the great U.S.-China tech war. And so, what is the inspiration behind you to, for this book? Well, the inspiration is that China has been、um, making important strides in developing technology.、Um, it is also been、um, China steal a U.S. technology.、Um, don't know the full extent of it, but.、Uh, Director of National Intelligence John Radcliffe put the number at five hundred billion dollars a year. Some people put it higher, some lower. But the point is that China is、uh, trying to steal U.S. intellectual property. We know that through Huawei Technologies, they are trying to filch data from the rest of the world.、Um, so this is this is serious、um, because China is able to use this information to its great advantage. And while we're talking about Disease.、Uh, we should mention that、uh, China has been、um, acquiring DNA profiles of foreigners, and at the same time, it's been restricting and prohibiting the transfer of DNA information about Chinese outside China. And this feeds into、um, real concerns that the Chinese are developing biological weapons. The 2017 edition of the Authoritative Science of Military Strategy. Which is published by China's National Defense University, actually talks about developing a new form of biological warfare of quote specific ethnic genetic attacks.、Mm. So we've got to be concerned that China's technological advances are being used to very sinister purposes. Well, Gordon, again, let's go back to this technology um topic. I mean, you think about it, it's technology, and of course, everyone wants to get ahead of the game, you know.、Uh, and so, there's nothing wrong with、uh, developing their own system or developing their own software. So, in other words, I'm gonna play a devil's advocate. Is let's just say, if we don't play the game fairly, how much does it hurt? I mean, we are really helping with the world to have this 5G advancement. So what? Let's just say if we don't play by the books, or if we don't uh, really uh, follow the rules, how much does it hurt to the countries like U.S. in terms of technological advancement? And ultimately, again, we are going to be partners, aren't we? I, I don't think we are going to be partners.、Um, but I mean, the question is, if China plays by the rules, yes, that's fair. That's just normal competition.、Um, countries compete. That's part of our Westphalian international order, but China doesn't play by the rules.、Um, it is using,、uh, first of all, predatory trade policies; those that are prohibited by the terms of its entry into the World Trade Organization. Also, it's stealing data. This is criminal,、um, and it's feeding those data in for、uh, its artificial intelligence. And God knows what they're going to do with it. So、uh, no, this is this is not playing by the rules, and unfortunately, the United States、um, and other countries are not holding China to its promises.、Um, so、uh, the reason I wrote the book was a warning、um, that we have got to concern, be concerned that China is doing extremely well, and it is not playing by the rules.、Mm. Well, Gordon, two more questions before letting you go. Currently, I'm living in Hong Kong, and I witnessed recently the protests and the riots on the street towards the Beijing administration. Especially that most of the citizens in Hong Kong, they were strongly advocating that Beijing should leave this region alone because of the word human rights. And and most of the、um, Hong Kong citizens believe that we are、uh, they are able and they are capable to govern the systems. But however, outside. China, 
more people are focusing on the issue of human rights. Now, Gordon, don't get me wrong. I'm with you on this one. Of course, I agree with a lot more of comments. But this is really a domestic issue, don't you think? Why, why, why do people from like Cato Institutes or um, Heritage Foundation are still questioning about the human rights of China? I mean, I want to say is, guys, this is a domestic issue. International community, don't you think that you're reaching your arm too far a little bit? Well, two things. I mean, you talk about Hong Kong. Uh, Hong Kong, China says is a domestic issue, but remember... Um, Britain returned uh, Hong Kong to China, quote-unquote, um, pursuant to um, the, Sino the Sino-British Declaration of 1984. That's a treaty. So China has international obligations with regard to Hong Kong, and China has abrogated that treaty, um, it says. Um, so this is, yeah, it's a domestic matter in the sense that Hong Kong is part of the People's Republic, but it also is an area subject to treaty obligations. Um, also, with regard to what people call Xinjiang, um, there China is committing um, crimes against humanity which are worse than those that the Third Reich committed prior to the mass exterminations of 1941. China is detaining at least a million, maybe a three million people in concentration camps. We know people are dying in those camps. It's imposing genocidal policies. It's institutionalized slavery um, and uh, taking that system across China. It's institutionalized rape. There are allegations of forced organ harvesting. Um, this is horrific. And um, we believe um, that, um, yes, country has a right to um, govern internally, but there are certain limits. And when it comes to these crimes against humanity, um, they override issues of sovereignty. Mm. Last question, Gordon. Recently, the CEO of Starbucks had a letter exchange with the Chinese President Xi Jinping. Apparently, it's basically a knowledge that coexistence and belief that uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping praised the, uh, the effort of uh, a big corporation like Starbucks on building its presence. And also, it seems like Xi Jinping opened up more land and rooms for the corporation like Starbucks landed to in China. Now, Gordon, from your perspective, what does that message send to the rest of the corporations in America? Because most of the thinking, I don't know if I should really do that, or I don't know if I should follow the examples like were, uh, what a CEO of Starbucks did. Well, what American business in China has done, it support a system that is, as we talked about, committing crimes against humanity. This is horrific. This is like... Uh, American and, and foreign companies working with the Third Reich, um, this is just wrong. It's morally wrong. And so um, China tries to exploit all points of contact it has with the United States. And so it's using Howard Schultz, the former chairman of Starbucks, the recipient of the letter that you referred to. Um, and I think that we are going to, as we get a better appreciation of uh, the maliciousness of China, um, we will hold people like Howard Schultz um, to great criticism for his role, just as we now hold Thomas Watson of IBM to mm. great criticism for working with the Third Reich um, during the bombing of London and after the invasion of France. Um, this, is, this is just wrong, morally wrong. Well, Gordon Chang is the author of the new book, The Great U.S.-China Tech War and Losing South Korea. 
Gordon, thank you so much for taking your time to be on my show. I'm looking forward to having you back on our, my podcast again. Oh, well, I look forward to that as well, and thank you so much.